Well, good morning, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today as we finish out our study on Paul's letter to his student, Titus. The message for today will reveal the way God's love is seen in contrast to the world system. We will see that the believer's effort towards good works is a product of what he or she has already freely received in Christ such that we can be those who, in return, learn to freely give. Thanks for listening. There's a time in Jesus' ministry as he comes into the region of the Gerasenes, a place where the gospel had yet to make its way and where he was yet to be known, where he encounters a man who is filled with demons. The story comes from... Uh, Luke chapter 8, I'd like to read a portion for you. We recognize a few themes that are there. It says that they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the Lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he'd lived out in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, it kept him under guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied. Because my, many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And all the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got up went to the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? One perhaps that you've seen depicted before on, on film and the, the, the craziness of the man, the lunatic as it were, living naked out in the tombs. One who had nothing to bring to Jesus. Think, think with me for a moment. What is it that might cause Jesus to want to have this guy come be part of his team? Have this guy become a missionary? What could he offer Jesus? He didn't have any education. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any clothes. He had nothing that he could offer. There was no good work that he could do. There was nothing that he could do to impress Jesus. He came with nothing. And Jesus makes him a missionary to his own town. Not because of anything that he does, but because of God's love, because of Jesus' love for the man. 
Are we not too different? We might recognize today, thank the Lord, that we don't have a legion of demons afflicting us. I hope nobody came naked from the graveyard this morning. But we might also rightly recognize that we, like this man, when we come to Jesus, we don't bring anything. And if we make the mistake of thinking that we do bring something, we do in that make a mistake. Because this little story, it shows us that God's working in this man's life was done not out of any merit from the man. Not from Legion himself. It all came by God's grace. It all came through the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Today we're finishing the book of Titus. We've been in a short letter over the last couple of weeks that the Apostle Paul writes to a student of his who's left to set things in order at a church, to appoint uh, leaders and elders, to make sure that the people are living in accordance with sound doctrine, that their lifestyle, their pattern, their words, their works, the things that they do would follow after what God's Word teaches. Last week we saw that grace had appeared with Jesus Christ. And that in two ways it becomes our teacher. To purify us, that's to cleanse us. And to redeem us, and that's freedom. Such that you and I become, do you remember what it was? We are now God's possession. You belong to Him. You belong to God. And His grace has come and it has claimed you. Uh, but there was a part at the end of that too that, that Titus picks up on through, the, through all of chapter 3. And it's simply this, that we are now those who are left eager to please, eager to do good because of what God has first done for us. I've entitled this message, Devoted to Doing Good. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn to Titus chapter 3. We're going to read through this last short chapter that Paul gives to Titus. There is so much in this passage, I couldn't even cover it in three hours worth of time. And so all we're simply going to do for this morning is look at the main idea that gets repeated and then evaluate in a short study a few of the verses that are just the, the little uh, diamond in the rough for this letter to Titus. Titus chapter 3, 1859 in our Pew Bibles. Starting in verse 1, Paul says these words. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and to be considerate, and to show true humility to all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everybody. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. 
because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything that they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they might provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Did anybody catch what was repeated? It's in there three different times in this one chapter. I want to point them out to you. In fact, we could even see it showing up from last week's message at the end of chapter 2. Notice chapter 2, verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify us for a people, himself, a people that are his very own, right? His possession, eager to what? To do what is good. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 1. Now he says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to what? Do whatever is good. Look at verse 8. Paul writes, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to what? Devote themselves to doing what is good. And lastly, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Did, did everybody get the message? Did, does everybody see kind of the main theme through this passage? Uh, the Apostle Paul wants to remind Titus to remind the church, hey, now that you're saved, you need to do what? What is good? We need to do what is good. We live in a world where that is so warped. We live in a world where the, that which is good is shown to be now wrong or bad, and that which is wrong or bad, that's the thing that's elevated. Not only in this perversion of the world in which we live, where people get upside down understanding between good and bad, where you and I need a transformation of our minds through God's word so that we would rightly understand what is good. But the world system doesn't work like this either. The world system works such that if you do good, then you get promoted, right? right? How does that work on your job site? If you're just punching the clock, getting by, you're never going to climb any higher on the the pay scale. But if you work hard and you really try your best and you show up on time and you show yourself to be trustworthy, then and maybe then the boss will do what? Give you give you a promotion, give you a pay increase. Because we live in that type of a world, we don't understand grace because God does not work like that. God does not require of us the ability to, look, now you guys got to shape up your life and then maybe I'll accept you, God says. He doesn't work like that. He accepts you before you do anything good. He accepts you back when you, all you could do would be wrong. Where every inclination of your heart and your desires are not for loving and serving him, but rather for loving and serving yourself. God does not work the way in which the world works. Think with me of the story of the demoniac. Do you, do you remember? What good could he do? Zero. Nothing. There was nothing that he could bring. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus healed him. Jesus accepted him. 
And then Jesus sent him to do what is good. Do you remember how the story ended from Luke chapter 8? Right? As the people came, all those herdsmen whose pig all got drowned, they came back and there's that lunatic, right? There's that crazy guy. You know, stay away from the graveyard because we know who's out there. But suddenly he's got his clothes on. And suddenly we see him sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning and taking notes and asking questions. And the text says that he's in his right mind. And this scared him. This scared the people for the power that Jesus had. As the people flee and are are afraid, uh, do you remember what the man said he wanted to do? Because Jesus was going to listen to the people. People are like, look, you need to leave this place. You're ruining our agriculture. Don't. Go near any more pigs. And Jesus gets in the boat and, and he decides to leave. And what does the man do? The man who is healed, do you know what he does? He goes to Jesus and he says, can I come with you? Can I go with you? And Jesus says no. This hopefully is the story of your life as you come to know God. That coming to know Jesus Christ means that I see my sin. I want to be done with my sin. And I turn to the cross such now I only want to be with Jesus. But He doesn't take you to heaven when He saves you. He doesn't. He leaves you where? He leaves you in your town. And He would commission you the same as He commissioned the demoniac. The man who is now in his right mind. Instead of coming with me, instead of going to heaven, instead of being taken out of this world, you need to go and proclaim who I am and the good news to this world. You need to be devoted to doing what is good. Do you see the backwards way in which the world works? I want to make sure that everybody's clear on this message. God is not impressed by your good works such that he decides to save you. He saves you. And then he commissions you to good works. He saves you. He purifies you. He redeems you. And then he says, go and be devoted to doing what is good. A couple of verses that I'd like us to look at. uh, They really start in verse 4. There's a bulletin insert that has these listed there for you. First thing I want you to see is a word that's repeated from last Sunday. Does any remember what this word is? Appeared? That's epiphany, right? It came. Jesus came. The grace of God showed up. Well, in verse 4, what is it that is showing up? Well, it's none other than the kindness and the love of God. That when we see Jesus, we see the kindness and we see the love of God appearing. There was one other thing that's repeated in this next verse. He saved us. He saved us. It's shown twice. And Paul, when he writes to Titus, he'll speak of this salvation in two different ways. The first one answers, and they both really answer the question of, how did he save us? All right, well, he saved us. Exactly how did that work? The first one is by agency. The way in which he saved us. Notice it says, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but rather he saved us how? Because of his mercy, he saved us. So the agency of God's salvation, the way in which he did it, was none other than his mercy. Uh, when I was a, was a, I was a schoolboy, we would uh, sometimes uh, get into fights. Anybody with me there when you were little? 
Now, they, they, were, they weren't the kind of fights that you were trying to hurt the other guy, right? You just wanted to beat up your buddy for fun, right? That's all you were doing is you were having a good time. And one of the things that you could do is you could take, do, do you guys know what a, a chicken wing is? Who here knows what chicken wing is? I, do I need a demonstration? Who wants to come up? No, okay, I'm just joking. So if you take someone's arm like this and, and you get them back like that, right? It's called the chicken wing. And you can do whatever you want with them if you had them in a chicken wing. And what is it that the poor buddy cries out when he's in a chicken wing? Uncle, that's right, yeah. And uncle is a cry for mercy. That's really what it is. Mercy, right? Uncle, uncle, uncle. Have you ever been there with God? Have you ever been in a chicken wing in your life circumstances? Have you ever got to a point where you didn't have anywhere to turn that maybe sin had you wrapped up such that it was calling the shots and it was controlling you? And the only thing that you had to cry out is, mercy, I need mercy. I want you to see that when Paul writes to Titus, he wants the church to know that you are not saved because of the righteous things that you do. There is nothing good that you can do that will merit salvation. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. In Isaiah, it says that your, your acts of righteousness are but filthy rags. That's what they are before God. If you think that you will come to God because you polished up your shoes and you brushed yourself up nice and clean, that is before God an offense. Because you are saying essentially to God, I can take care of it. I can do it myself. When God says, I've already, I've already done it for you. Imagine that someone at the table paid your bill, right? You had a wonderful meal, and the check comes, and it's been paid, but you said, no, I want to pay anyways. How insulting would that be for the one who gave on your behalf? And that's what we do if we assume that we must come to God under our own righteousness. Hear the words of the apostle today. He has saved you, but he has not saved you by your acts of righteousness. Rather, the agency through which he has saved you. It's his mercy. It's his mercy to you. He answers this question again as how, but this time it's not agency, but now it's a matter of means. This is the way in which he has saved you. All right, I, I get how you went about it. It wasn't by me. It was, it was through the mercy of God. But how exactly did you make that work? How exactly have we been saved? I want you to see. Here it is. It is through the washing of rebirth and renewal. By the Holy Spirit. Two beautiful words are used there. Rebirth and renewal. The, the word literally means in the original language for rebirth. To be born again. Anyone here born again? Anybody here? Uh, not as they used to be. I, I, come on, let's raise our hands folks. Anyone here born again? What that means is that you are not what you used to be. You're not the same person that you used to be. You have been born again. It's the same language that's used when Jesus speaks to the Pharisee Nicodemus. Now you need to understand, Pharisees were well polished. Pharisees had acts of righteousness. And when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he wants to ask, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. This confuses Nicodemus, because how does a grown fellow do that? How, he, he's not thinking correctly, and Jesus helps him by saying you must be born both of water that means physically and born of the spirit how did he save you well he saved you by rebirth by new birth that you're brand new which is the next word that he uses here when he says renewal by the holy spirit this word literally means to cause to be something brand new 
caused to be something brand new. A few months ago, we studied uh, a passage in 2 Corinthians. We looked at it every week after week after week. And there is one line in there that I would highlight. As Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he says that anyone who is in Christ is a what? A new creation. You're a new creation. If you are in Jesus Christ, you're not what you used to be. You're brand new. You're not born of your parents here on earth any longer. You're now a child of God. He is now your heavenly father. How exactly did he save us? Well, through the means of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that he gives generously to us. To live in us and to teach us and to indwell us. And to gently guide us so that we would learn to follow him. How are you doing with that? How are you guys doing with following the Spirit? It's hard sometimes. It's hard because we still live with bodies that are plagued with sin and temptation. We still live in a world that wants to appeal to our natural desires. And we still live with an adversary, the evil one, who is yet to fall under the full submission to the feet of Jesus Christ. And he comes to lie and steal and devour and deceive. So how are you doing? The Spirit is always speaking. The question is, how are we doing with listening? Make sure that we do not confuse God's giving of the Holy Spirit with some idea that we need to go back again and earn it for ourselves. Remember, He did not save you by your acts of righteousness. He saved you by rebirth. You were not what you used to be. And renewal, you are brand new in Jesus Christ. This is how He has saved you. The next line here is a repeat, really, of this idea of appearing. Uh, verse 6 references that kindness and love of God that has appeared. As he says, it's poured out on us generously by Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the last thing that I want us to see this morning is perhaps the most important here in verse 7. It's what do we do with this new birth? What do we do with this renewal? Now that he has saved us, so what? Well, here's why. So that, having been justified... How? By grace. This word justified is another fantastic word. It means to be put right. It means to be made whole again. It means to be declared righteous. Think of the man living out in the tombs. First of all, that'd be really cold if he lived in the UP. <laughs> He'd probably find some clothes, I'd imagine, right? But here he is living out in the tombs. Crazy, out of his mind. Being justified means that you're made right again. And that's what Jesus did for him. Such that when the people came back, they see the man now seated at Jesus' feet, sitting there learning, asking questions, and in his right mind. How have you been made right, church? Well, you have been justified by his grace. You've been justified by his grace that you might become an heir having the hope of eternal life. Now, right after he says this in our text, in verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things. So, I mean, remember that the letter that we're reading in Titus, the, the Word of God, folks, say, everybody, everybody with me? It's instructional to Titus. So Paul says, look, this is the stuff that you have to remind the church about. And as you do, continue with this, such that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
A few points of conclusion that I want us to see. Number one is this. Good works and going to church and baptism do not save you. They do not save you. You are saved by God's freely given grace alone. That saves you. It is not by your acts of righteousness. It's not by going to church. It's not by getting baptized. It's not by doing good things. It's his grace given to you freely. Even though it's given freely, it's not free. It cost God the life of his one and only son. It cost Jesus Christ his life on earth and an obedience to follow a path of suffering, a suffering that you and I deserve. That's the cost of the grace. So even though it's given freely, it's not free. It's very costly. And yet, like a gift on Christmas morning, there's no price tag attached to it. Like a present on your birthday, it's given to you by God's mercy and His love and His grace. Number one, I want you to see that good works and going to church and baptism, they don't save you. It is only by God's grace alone. And second is this, because He has saved us. So make sure we understand where good works falls into this, right? So because He has saved you, He asks you now to devote yourself to doing good works. Devote yourself to doing good works. Now this is not, this is not easy to do. It is difficult and all of us here are in a process. All of us here are being transformed and being moved. And little by little today and this week, we're a little bit further than we were in the past. There's one last thing that I'd like to show you back from this passage. It's the difference between a verb. It comes here in verse 7. Notice this. Uh, you have been justified. You have been saved, right? Past tense. This is something that's true for you. It's where you now live. But look at this next one. It's no longer past tense, but now future. Because God understands that this is a process for you. It's a process for me. That we would be devoted. That the church of Jesus Christ here on earth would be devoted to doing good. Not to earn God's love. But to come from the source of God's love. It's simply this. He saved us because of his mercy. And he justified us by his grace. The last thing I'd like to say before we pray and conclude is a passage out of Matthew chapter 10. You could turn there with me. It's interesting to see that this is where Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out. Much like he does with the demoniac. Now that he's in his right mind, he sends them out into the world. And pretty soon, we're going to pray, and we're going to end our service, and where are you going to go? The world. Out into the world. That's right. As Jesus sends out his disciples, he says something to them that I want us to hold to today. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Skip down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. 
drive out demons. What does that sound like to you? Being devoted to doing good. But look at the next thing that he says. Freely you have received. So freely give. Church, you've received grace from God. It's free. He loves you, not because you earn it, not because you go to church, not because you did a bunch of stuff in church. He loves you freely. And his response to you, as you have come to him by his grace, is so now freely give. I would like to challenge you in your sermon uh, insert there in the, in the bulletin. I want to challenge you to try to finish this sentence. Because Jesus gave freely to me, I will something. What, whatever that might be for you. I want to challenge the church to pray. Pray that God would show you something good that you can do. Something that you can do in the name of Jesus Christ. Not to earn his love, but to come from his love. I think I've told the story and I'll continue to tell it that when I was young, I went to Big Boy and I sat down by myself to eat a meal and there the cheeseburger came and as I was finishing and waiting for the check, the server came and instead of giving me a bill, he gave me a napkin and on it he wrote, Ryan, God has given me much more than I deserve. So in Jesus' name, this is for you. And he paid my meal for a cheeseburger and I've never forgot that. Such a simple little act. Such a simple thing of goodness to do, but something that I will continue to carry with me in my life. How will you serve God? How will you give freely from what you have already received? And because Jesus has given to you, what can you do now for others? Let's be devoted, church. As God's word says, as we finish now the book of Titus, let us be devoted to doing what is good. Let's pray.